This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. The following podcast may contain explicit content, which is, I suspect, why many of you are tuning in in the first place. It's Friday, September 1st, 2023 from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. And all this week, I've been talking about the times I was wrong. Not the only times, but times that were important enough to give me some insight into how I, and I think by extension, how we make mistakes and what we do afterwards to grapple with them. This week is not the only time that I've ever done this. I correct mistakes in Antoine Tig segments. I try to revisit big picture moments and I actually engage in self-reflection and accounting. Why was I misled? Why did I perhaps mislead you? How do I not do this the next time? I also try to keep my public hand wringing to a minimum. You don't tune into the show for that, but I do try to attempt to represent a version of accountability. So today I will play two segments of which I am a bit embarrassed by, by how wrong I was. One is the same topic that we talked about yesterday, which was my talk with Camille Foster about Amy Cooper. And then I will do the Nunez memo. Oh, everyone loves the Nunez memo, which is about the Steele dossier and in turn the Offerman logbook as part of the Kupferstein transcription. No, it's, it's just the memo and the dossier, which people hate when I discuss. No more things that are written down and that you might find in a filing cabinet you want to ignore. But this time I shall make it worth it. I promise you can trust me, or maybe can you wait until you hear some of the stuff I said first, Amy Cooper. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So if you listen to yesterday's show, you found out a few things about the so-called Central Park Karen Amy Cooper, that she's a human with frailties, that she says she was very afraid in the moment she confronted or was confronted by Christian Cooper, that her confrontation with Christian Cooper was, I think, almost entirely her fault. But she did identify him as an African-American, and we learned about that 
has almost the exact same instance as we heard about the killing of George Floyd. It doesn't matter if you think Amy Cooper was trying to get Christian Cooper in greater trouble because he was black, or if you say to yourself, well, there's no real proof of either one. Her motives are not discernible. But one widely argued consequence of her decision to say I'm being attacked by an African-American is something I need to address. And that's to think that by calling the police and saying that, that she engaged in an act of violence, harm, or what we all know, the deadly consequences of calling the police on a black man. Yes, I've done many, many shows about police brutality, the black community, the disproportionality thereof. But before I play my assessment of Amy Cooper in general, I want to talk about this point because not enough people have. The assumption that calling the police on a person, a black person, is tantamount to a death sentence is so unbelievably exaggerated It's hard to even put into context. There wasn't much room to make this point in 2020, but consider this. Mapping police violence counts every killing of a civilian by police, and they started in 2013. In New York City, when Amy Cooper called the police on an unarmed black man who wasn't actually engaged in anything illegal, there were zero incidents of such a person being killed by a police officer. There have overall been eight times in the last decade, which is when mapping police violence started counting, eight times ever that unarmed black men were killed by police. Eric Garner resisted arrest for selling cigarettes. Dion Flood jumped a turnstile. Ronald Smith was a homeless man accidentally clipped by a speeding police car. David Smith was a schizophrenic man who grappled with police who were investigating him for robbery. The closest case to a totally innocent person, and by the way, none of those people actually deserved getting killed, of course, but the closest case to an unarmed person getting killed by a police officer, an unarmed black man was a Kai Gurley who was shot in the stairwell of a housing complex by a rookie police officer on patrol who discharged his gun and the bullet bounced off a wall. During this time, during this decade, NYPD records show that tens of millions of interactions between police and citizens occurred. Many millions, possibly tens of millions between police and black men occurred. In fact, Christian Cooper was much more likely to be harmed or killed if he took a cab home from the park that day than if he had an encounter with police. We know this Because Christian Cooper wasn't harmed by police who did respond to the call and then went away after Amy Cooper explained what happened. Still, all that said, and I'm glad I got to say it here, here now is me discussing what I consider to be justice in this case on July 8th of 2020. It's the gist, I'm Mike Pesca. Amy Cooper, the Central Park Karen, and Christian Cooper, the Central Park birder, will forever be entwined. But Christian Cooper doesn't want to be. He will not be participating in the effort to bring charges against Amy Cooper. Quote, bringing her more misery just seems like piling on, he says. The word I would apply to Christian Cooper is grace. He is handling this all and has handled it with such grace. Doing the right thing at the time, doing the smart thing by taping Amy Cooper, modeling poise when the onslaught of attention came, going far out of his way not to dehumanize this figure who did something truly awful to him. Now, of course, Christian Cooper, who never asked to be threatened by what all accounts seems to be a fairly disturbed or at least very petty woman, is feeling it from some critics. 
Twitter user WonderKing82 writes, Christian Cooper refuses to cooperate in the case against Amy Cooper. This ain't about you anymore, Christian. You have to do this for the next black person because the next one won't be as lucky if they run into another Amy Cooper who will succeed. Stop this nonsense of forgiveness. Twitter user at Bay of Arizona writes, this is to protect future victims. I don't care about his opinion. The fact that he's refusing to cooperate means he is willing to be held in contempt to ensure she doesn't have to do community service. It's strange that he cares about her more than other black people in NYC. And finally, at Fred T. Joseph, the writer Frederick Joseph, author of Black Friend, writes, the Christian Cooper story is disappointing, but not surprising. Our community upholds white supremacy very often. Wow, harsh. I do feel the urgency to prosecute Amy Cooper. Personally, I'd want to have seen her prosecuted immediately. It's a misdemeanor charge, and it seems fairly easy to prove with or without Christian Cooper's cooperation. Now, Josie Duffy Rice, the president of The Appeal, disagrees. She wrote, ask yourself what criminal charges can do to Amy Cooper that hasn't already been done. Has she not faced consequences? She did something absolutely horrible and she lost her job, her dog, her personal business was on the front page of the paper. Rice adds, it's the easy way out and it reinforces the idea that justice can only be found in the disastrous carceral system we've created. So add up that critique and Duffy Rice is saying, the criminal justice system is so broken that informal mob justice is preferable to it. I know there are people who agree with this, but I don't. I think it's dangerous. Let's all patrol our neighborhoods and houses in armed posses. Amy Cooper losing her job might have been a rough kind of informal justice. We can't rely on that. I don't weep for her at all, but I would always prefer an orderly, actual criminal charge for a criminal act than some sort of haphazard private censure that will rarely be commensurate with the crime in any thought-out way. I do believe, by the way, in the case of Amy Cooper, her employers probably had to fire her. It was untenable for her to stay on with Templeton funds. They could have lost billions in investments. An odd aspect to the prosecution, however, even without Christian Cooper in it, is offered by Alan Bragg, quoted in the New York Times, identified there as a former federal prosecutor and a professor at New York Law School. He was not identified this way in the New York Times. I'm Alvin Bragg, and I'm running for Manhattan District Attorney. But he is. He writes about Amy Cooper's false police report. There is a false weepy tone, and she strategically placed significance on race. She is harping on deep historical issues in our country. She is emphasizing those words, and she knows the effect it could have on the listener. None of those facts seem to me to be particularly relevant to whether it was a true or false report. I mean, the use of race makes the false report quite insidious, but it's not what makes it a false report. If anything, Bragg's kind of laying out a roadmap for how to file a false report without consequence. You have a flat affect. You only offhandedly mention the race of the person you're lying about. Definitely don't emphasize it. I do think a conviction will be possible without Christian Cooper's cooperation. I do think a conviction is warranted. I do think Christian Cooper should do whatever he wants. To quote the writer Carvel Wallace about all the criticism Christian Cooper is taking, can we just release Christian Cooper from this cycle? Like, don't we have a whole fucking society and legal system and internet and tapes and prosecutors to do the work of fighting racism and weaponized whiteness? Please, let this man alone to be with his birds. 
In fact, Christian Cooper gained acclaim in professional opportunities. He came out with a memoir published by Random House and hosted Extraordinary Birder with Christian Cooper on the National Geographic Channel. Looking back and listening back, I actually don't think Amy Cooper should have been charged. Knowing what we know now, her statements seem more in the world of the inaccurate than the false. I wish I would have said a sentence or two to that effect, or even a clause like, unless there's more to the story, we don't know, or barring some unearthed evidence, which of course is entirely plausible. I should have said that. I think I thought that. Chose not to say it for whatever reason. Well, here's, I think, the reason. I was doing something rhetorical and psychological, psychological to myself, in fact, in trying to make a perhaps uncomfortable point that the public in general wasn't looking to hear at that point in the story. What I was doing was conceding all ground except for the small square footage that I was standing on. And the footage was to say, we cannot give in to a mob in this or any other circumstance. So I said, look, I'm not saying Amy Cooper was telling the truth. I'm not saying Amy Cooper doesn't deserve punishment. I'm just saying mob justice is the worst kind of justice. But I didn't even say, I'm not saying she doesn't deserve punishment. You heard it. I was saying, I think she does deserve punishment. I listened back to it and I said, why didn't I say, in fact, that a reason that mob justice is poor process is because it distorts more cool-headed consideration and therefore I was not coolly considering that maybe there's more to the Amy Cooper story. As you heard in my talk with Camille, I don't think there's a lot more to the Amy Cooper story. I don't think she should be exonerated per se for her terrible judgment in the moment, but literally exonerated or never charged in a court of law. Yeah, that would have been the just outcome. In reality, it wasn't a crime. And I am not proud of myself for making all those kinds of noises you just heard about the deservedness of her punishment. Skeptic of the mob, cool thyself. Nunez Memo up next. The Nunez Memo was one of those flashpoints in the news that now seems like a fizzling dud, but so too does the Schiff Memo, the supposedly forceful counter-accusation. It's not a firework. It's not even a firefly. More like a mosquito. A forgotten mosquito. Maybe you're hearing these phrases and saying, what? I barely remember them. So to reset in 2018, when the Mueller investigation was underway... The House Intelligence Committee was bickering about FISA warrants that set much of the misdeeds in motion. Donald Trump was alleging that the Obama administration tapped the phones in Trump Tower. Democrats and most of the news media pushed back. Enter Devin Nunes, Republican congressman, Trump loyalist, who was involved in a couple previous efforts to vindicate the then president on Russian collusion charges. He was wrong about that stuff. So in my eyes, Devin Nunes was discredited. In media appearances, Nunes made far-fetched claims to support his accusations. And I began to think of him literally as just not terribly swift. Mentally, I mean. He was a discredited nincompoop, which was a fine phrase, I figured, in that nincompoop. It's not really that mean. And you do have the nice DNDN parallelism of Devin Nunes and discredited nincompoop. So in February, 
he issued a memo. It basically alleged that the Steele dossier was nonsense and that without it, there wouldn't be this huge investigation into the president. He did get some specifics wrong. For instance, he said the FISA courts, which approved the wiretap, were never told that the Steele dossier was funded by Trump's political opponents. But they were told that, and we know that because it was in a footnote. Nunes was on Fox and asked about that. Yeah, well, if you look what they've done over the course of the last couple of weeks since uh, we put together our memo so that we could make sure the American public discovered the FISA abuses that occurred, they've continued to leak out bits and pieces of information to create narratives that, quite frankly, have, uh, have one thing in common. They're always false. So a footnote saying that something might be political is a far cry from letting the American people know mm -hmm. that the Democrats in the Hillary campaign paid for dirt that the FBI then used to get a warrant on an American citizen to spy on another campaign. That's not very accurate. That seems to be, yeah, butting the salient point that he was wrong about the footnote. And there was a lot more in that answer that was sidestepping a valid critique and grandiose and incendiary phrasing. But you know what? When he said the Democrats in the Hillary campaign paid for dirt that the FBI then used to get a warrant on an American citizen to spy on another campaign... That is not how I'd say it, but it is pretty much true or more true than the Schiff memo was directionally true. I later did a segment grappling with how much of a vindication Nunes deserves. Ben Wittes came on. He grappled with me. That was in a December 2019 GIST episode titled Discredited Nincompoop Nunes is slightly vindicated, slightly in parentheses. But let's listen. Listen along with me to my initial dismissal. Let's think about if my desire for mockery obscured some important truths. Let's really question if I was doing my job or just defining my job as amusing, like-minded people who wanted to jeer at a guy coming to hard-to-fathom conclusions for hard-to-understand reasons. This is my show, open the day before the memo was released. The gist, I'm Mike Pesca. Discredited nincompoop, Devin Nunes is close to achieving his goal of hashtag release the memo. At this point, I guess they have to. What are you gonna do? Because hashtag appease the lame -o. How could this memo contain anything worthwhile? Who would want an accounting of what went on and who was wiretapped and why through the lens of discredited nincompoop Devin Nunes? Now I'm not saying this as an ad hominem attack when I describe him as a discredited nincompoop, there's a reason. One, he's discredited. Remember the whole Trump alleging that Obama wiretapped him in Trump Tower and then Nunes ran interference on that. So he's discredited. He should be discredited in the non-Sean Hannity portions of the media. But let's get to nincompoop. I'm not saying he's a flat-out dummy. I'm not alleging that he is in general a low IQ individual. To me, nincompoop connotes something of the harebrained, like going back to edit a report that you said you wouldn't touch, that you swore to other members of the committee, yes, this what you read, this is what's going to be released. It's just, as a smokescreen, it's not a well-thought-out smokescreen. The smoke, not nearly opaque enough. It just seems like a bad idea. Just like the, the last idea that discredited, discredited nincompoop Devin Nunes. Just a bad idea. The execution was botched, even if it went through correctly and somehow people bought that Obama had wiretapped 
Donald Trump because he hadn't. That would have gotten out. And here's the underlying truth of this. How does he think he's going to win? How does he think that this is going to serve his cause as anything other than a distraction? Once it comes out, it will be easily rebutted. You're going up against the FBI and the CIA. They always win. Even when they lose, they win. J. Edgar Hoover harasses and smears innocent victims, but he smeared them. He successfully smeared them. The FBI gets a lot of convictions that are later overturned, but they get the convictions. And then you have trying to thwart this powerful FBI, who in this case happens to have the truth on their side. You have discredited nincompoop Devin Nunes. I predict he will be remembered as the BB Rebozo of this affair. Not because of the relative places they held, just because of the names, the BB Robosity and the discredited nincompoopery. So lots of jokes. He seemed like a joke. I'm not terribly proud of my analysis. I never said it on the show, and I didn't believe it then that it was so very obvious that Trump had colluded with the Russians. I was sincerely waiting for the evidence to come in. But I know what I thought of Devin Nunes and his way of doing things and the things he said in public. And I also knew where my audience was on the message he was peddling. So it took no great insight or bravery to dismiss Devin Nunes. This is the only reason why it's important going forward. I can demand that everyone in the public uh, making a charge or issuing an accusation does it in the most careful, high-minded, nonpartisan way. And when they engage in partisan phrasing or framing, I could say that discredits them. You know, if they use phrases like the deep state or if they use distractionary tactics when confronted with good arguments by saying things that are obviously meant to delight the Fox audience, I say to myself, you know, if they had such a great point, they wouldn't need to use that phrase. No one who says Biden crime family can possibly be taken seriously. But that's wrong. I'm not saying there was a Biden crime family. I'm saying there are a lot of incentives for a lot of people to phrase things and argue things in a partisan way, to use a partisan vernacular. That in and of itself is not on its face proof that the argument is terrible. I count that sort of thing as a tell. I say to myself, see, if he had the goods, he wouldn't have to garnish them with all this frufa. But no, it may well be an actual rational ploy for a Republican to make arguments in the way that most rallies Republicans. And the other way around, too. I mean, it's actually smart to couch an argument in red meat for your side because then your side will rally to the charge. And it won't only rally to false charges. It could rally to accurate charges. The right should know that not every left-wing argument that speaks of harms or disparate impact or things systemic means that it's not legit, or even means that it's something that doesn't affect them. And the same thing with the right. Just because Fox News is a froth, that's not a totally reliable indicator that there's no substance there. I.e., one man's perceived nincompoopery is another man's credibility. This makes my job harder. It makes all our jobs, if our job is to sort truth from fiction, a bit harder. But it's something I have to keep aware of and that I'll try to stay on top of as I sort the ridiculous from the valid and the risible from the plausible. That's it for today's show. The Gist was produced by Corey Wara, senior producer Joel Patterson, Michelle Pesca, 
is CLO of Peachfish Productions. The gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash the gist. Oomperoo, Jeepuru, Dupuru, and thanks for listening.